Uh, if you want to turn to it, it's on page 158, but otherwise just please listen to the Word of God. So it's Numbers 21, and I'm going to be reading verses 4 to 9, and then I'll move on to John chapter 3 and read verses 13 to 18. That's on page 1066. So first of all, Numbers 21, beginning to read at verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. And now moving on to John's Gospel, chapter 3, page 1066. I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Stuart. Um, that's Stuart. I'm also Stuart. Um, uh, I, uh, I'm curate here. If we haven't met before, um, I'd love to meet you. Also, I also head up the uh, student work here. So if you are an undergraduate and this is your first time to HT, a massive welcome to you. Um, there's loads going on for students at HT. Uh, don't leave without saying hello, grabbing a freshers pack. Um, yeah, I'd love to tell you more. But this is not a pitch for the student work. This is a sermon. So shall we pray? As we, come, uh, as we come to look at this passage. 
Lord, we thank you for um, we thank you for the good news of you and your love for us. We thank you for these words we're going to look at now. And we ask that you would come and open our hearts to all that you want to say to us this morning as we look at these together. Amen. Okay, well, our passage uh, this morning is John 3, verse 16, which has got to be up there with the most famous, most well-known verses in the Bible. You know, if you've been around church for very long, maybe you haven't, but if you have, you probably have noticed that John 3.16 is kind of everywhere. Um, and it's a particular favorite for Christians when they're trying to kind of share their faith with other people and explain their faith for people. So you see it in all kinds of bizarre places. Maybe you haven't noticed it, maybe you will now. You see it on like random baseball caps as people walk by. Um, you see it uh, on Christian hoodies, just kind of like hanging there. You know, some people go to uh, big sports events and just hold up posters, John 3, 16, written on it. I don't know how many people have like looked into the crowd, saw, seen a poster that presumably they didn't know what it meant and go, I must find out what that means and then go away and read it. I don't know, but I'm sure, I'm sure there is a story of someone who's done that and discovered, uh, discovered something amazing. But it is a, it, I don't know about you, if you've been around church for a bit, uh, when you see a verse like John 3, 16, Maybe you can even recite it. Um, uh, you, it. There can be a bit of cynicism, I will admit. A little bit of cynicism might creep in as uh, you see it being used again and again for people to share their faith with their friends or someone else. And it's just so short, you know. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Is that, really, is that really the whole story? Is that really the whole gospel? You know, surely, surely, it isn't, we're not just going to sit down with someone and chat through that with them and that's going to be it for them. Surely not. And I don't know about you, but you see, you see a sermon on John 3, 6, and you can think, oh, gee, oh, come on. Isn't this just a bit simple? Well, if you do have, if you, if you thought that as we read those few verses, um, then maybe you'll be able to imagine my dismay when a number of years ago, I went uh, to go out to, I went to South Africa to work for a summer with uh, a, a family friend of, of mine who, uh, uh, she's been doing work, telling people about Jesus on a campus, a university campus in South Africa for 40 years. Goes out every day and just talks to people about Jesus and, um, and she sees loads of people, uh, you know, become Christians. So I went out and I thought, great, I'll spend a summer with her. I want to see, you know, what, what does she do? How does she explain the gospel? This is so exciting. So it's there like, you know, all right, first day. And she's there and then she says, hands me a stack of tracts. Little pieces of paper, four pages, and on the front printed, John 3.16. And it's just flicking through four points, looking at this verse, and she must have seen my heart sink uh, because she said to me, Stuart, Stuart, I know, I know what you're feeling. You know, I don't really like tracts either. I don't really think John 3.16 is the only verse in the Bible either, but I've been doing this for 40 years, and I've tried everything. I've tried the most creative ways. I've told people about Jesus on my head playing the guitar, 
I've, I've tried concerts. I've tried this. I've tried that. Actually, you know what? I've just discovered there's incredible power in just sitting down with someone and talking them through this verse. And so you can imagine also my surprise. Two weeks later, seeing 24 people just walked up to people. Would you like to talk about this? 24 people who decided, yes, actually, I would like to be begin a life with Jesus. And I've got no reason to believe that any of those weren't genuine beginnings of a life with God. And um, I learned something very profound that summer, which hasn't really left me, which is, you know what, I think as Christians sometimes we can overcomplicate what it means to bring people into a living relationship with Jesus. We can place in our own heads so many barriers that aren't actually necessarily there between those who don't know Jesus but might want to come to know him. You know, it's the 12 stages of belief. You know, there's 39 points of doctrine. There's a thousand hours of being a loving example of them just to prove that I really believe this. I have to, they have to read at least half the C.S. Lewis books on my bookshelf and then maybe, just maybe, I might actually talk to them about Jesus. But what I want to focus on this morning, we're going to look at John 3.16, but what I want to focus on is encouraging us. What I think is really the focus of this whole wider conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Our reading in John was a conversation between Jesus, Jesus and Nicodemus about how, what it takes to enter God's kingdom, what it come, takes to enter a relationship with God. What I want to focus on this morning is actually how surprisingly close those around us can be to a relationship with God. How surprisingly simple it can be for people to enter the kingdom of God. And because God is at work, if God is at work, something as simple as walking through John 3.16 with someone might be the, bring them to the greatest discovery of their life. Because what I've discovered... What I've discovered when I have actually done this with people over many, many years, when I got over my pride and I decided to use this verse, is it is full of things that people actually just don't know. It seems so over-familiar to us, but it is full of, people, full of truths, life-changing truths that most people have never, ever heard in any real meaningful sense. I just want to go through a few of those things that I don't think a lot of people have heard these days. The first and most obvious is this. I think many people do not know that there is a God who loves them. That might blow our minds. We think, oh, come on, everyone knows that. Surely, I guarantee you, there'll be thousands of people arriving into this city over the next few weeks who've never, no one's ever told them that. No one's ever told them there is a God who loves them. And you know, people need to hear you know, again and again as I chat to people, you know, loneliness, loneliness is an epidemic, isn't it? There are people, many of us who are lonely because we feel we don't have friends or we don't have people around us. Maybe people will have come to this city and they have left family behind and people feel lonely because of that. But there's also the kind of loneliness, which I think is even more common, which we can have when we are surrounded by people, surrounded by family. And yet we can still ask, who really knows me? Who would really notice if things were going wrong? Who, who cares about me more than themselves? 
And I've seen it again and again. It is utterly life-changing for people to discover that there is a God who utterly and unfailingly desires their good and their flourishing. If you build your life on that truth, it will turn it inside out. But as I was reflecting on, on that truth and whether people, you know, that seems so obvious to me, I had to ask myself, when was the last time I told my brother that? When was the last time I looked my friends who don't know Jesus and actually just actually said to them eye to eye, do you know that God loves you? I talk about so many other things, church, prayer, um, the Church of England. Uh, there's a God and he loves you. It is life-changing and many people have never heard it. But there is more to this love than, uh, than just the general sentimental, you know, sentimental feeling, kind of like a field of goodwill, uh, as we sometimes can imagine it. Um, you know, like when you get a, a card from a, a relative and you can't actually remember whether you've ever met them. And, um, you know, it, you get this card and uh, uh, you, you read it and it's sort of quite bland. It says the same thing several times over and over again. And they obviously don't really know much about you. And at the end, it ends with, with lots of love. But you check the envelope and it hasn't come with anything. And you would have preferred a check. Um, and it's not, you know, that's nice. It's a nice sentiment, isn't it? But actually, actually, uh, the love that's being talked about in this verse is so much more than that. that. That kind of love is easy, isn't it? It's easy because it's empty. It's distant. It's not personal. It comes with no demands and it comes with no commitments. It can't really be accepted. It can't really be rejected. But... Here, John tells us something else. The verse doesn't end. Oh, the good news is, full stop. You know, God loves you, full stop. That's actually, sometimes we think that's all it is. That's not what it says. In fact, a more literal translation at the beginning of John 3.16, reading from Stuart Browning's more literal translation version, is this. In this way, God loved the world. Or in this manner, God loved the world. If you want to know what God's love looks like, you have to keep reading. Why? Because God's love has content. God's love took shape and it came into the world in a form that we could see untouched, in a form we could accept or reject, in a form that we could put to death. People don't know that God loves them. And if they do, they think it's just a general God must be nice. They don't know what it means for them, what God has done out of love for them. And we have to tell them. What else don't they know? Well, as I said, you know, uh, this love it takes shape. And one of the things they don't know about it, I'm going to start at the end of this verse, is this. That the purpose of this love is that they might have eternal life. The end, the goal that God has for us is so that we might have eternal life. Many people do not know the life that is on offer from God. Maybe they've heard about the love of God. They don't know what that means, the concrete life. The phrase uh, eternal life means lots of things in John's gospel. It's like a kind of 
It's like a sort of theme phrase that John uses loads, and he packs loads of meaning into what eternal life means. But I just want to pick up on two things that that, that means in John's gospel. Jesus tells us it means that people don't know, but it would change their lives to know. First of all, John verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they would know you, the Father, to be the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they would know you. Most people have no idea that they were made to know their God. That they were literally created, fashioned, to be in a living relationship with God. We, we were made to walk and talk with God, to learn, to trust him and delight with him, to do life with God rather than behind his back. At the center of the puzzle that is human flourishing, God has made it so that the central piece is a living relationship with the living God. And until that piece is placed, it will never be finished. There will always be a gap. As Augustine famously said, probably most people have never read any Augustine, but they all know this verse, uh, this uh, quote, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. You have made us for yourself. And we see in the New Testament the joy that pours out of those who have discovered this truth, who have found this living relationship. So the Apostle Peter writes at the beginning of his letter, though you have not seen him, not seen God, though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And many of us know that knowing God is the thing that brings most joy in this present life. But many people have no idea it's even possible. Don't even know that that's... How could you have a relationship with God? Here's another aspect of eternal life that Jesus tells us about in John 6 verse 10. Jesus says, Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. And I will raise them up on the last day. People do not know. People do not know that they were made for eternity. People do not know that we have been fashioned for an eternal existence. That long after all the beautiful buildings that have stood for thousands of years in this city have crumbled to dust and everything else has fallen apart, you and I will still be around. God has made us to last for eternity. And yet, day by day, people walk around this city, this country, in the streets, genuinely believing that they are a random arrangement of molecules only waiting to pass into non-existence. They think that about themselves. They think that about those around them. And we ask these big complicated questions about why our politics is falling apart and why economics doesn't work and why these other things aren't working. Well, how on earth? It was a surprise, surprise. How could it ever work 
If, if, if the majority maybe of people think this about themselves and about one another, we think it is plain as day. We know it. Oh, great. People do not know that they were fashioned for an eternal existence. We have to tell them about the God who offers eternal life. We have to tell them about the Jesus who promises to raise us up with himself on the last day. People don't know. But they need the hope that comes, not just the hope for the future, the distant hope, but the hope that brings meaning to now, makes today have eternal meaning. And all of this is amazing news, isn't it? It is amazing news. When we just think about it, we stop, we know this, we think about it again. Wow, it's extraordinary. But if you've ever tried to uh, share this, uh, this verse with anyone, you will also discover quite quickly as you go through it, it's an odd kind of good news. It sort of comes with a catch. You know, you're kind of reading through, and it says there, uh, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that they should not perish or should not be destroyed. And that's a kind of odd kind of good news. It's a bit like if your boss called you in for your weekly meeting, sat you down and said, now I've been thinking about it, and I'm not going to fire you. I think, I think we can make this work. And you're like, yes, I, rec- I suppose that is good news. Uh, I didn't realize I was this close to being fired. Or your best friend pulled you in, you know, for a cup of coffee and was like, good news, good news. I've been thinking about it. I'm going to forgive you for that horrendous thing you did to me. I think we can make this friendship work. And you're like, yeah, that is good news. What did I do? <laughs> it's that kind of odd good news. Why is it so odd for many people if you were to talk, to talk them through this? Why? Because most people have no idea they're at war with God. Most people have no idea that as it currently stands, they're enemies of God. If we read these verses, you know, we, we, we see, don't we, that God loves the world, that he, 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 is, he, is, he is acted out of love. He sent his son. He's not a God who's fundamentally against us. He, he desires um, that we would be come to life. But we shouldn't be confused by that to thinking that means that de facto, automatically, we're all in the, in the right boat. Actually, this passage makes it really clear that God has come to save us from something. Uh, That's why I had that little episode from Numbers read, Numbers 21. The people of Israel wandering through uh, the wilderness when they're being brought out of Egypt and into uh, eventually into uh, Canaan. It's a little story there. And I think the fact that Jesus references that passage is so helpful for us. Because, you know, Moses didn't just raise up the snake for fun. In, you know, it wasn't arts and crafts day in, uh, you know, show and tell in, in, in Israel that day. Moses was told to raise up this bronze snake in the midst of a plague of snakes. This is a merciful intervention amongst the plague that has already come. They have grumbled against God. They have said, well, we're not interested in what you have for us. Uh, You know, we're not grateful for what you've given us. We're not up for this journey. 
God had already sent his judgment for that. And into that, God brings his mercy. So that's what it means when we're told uh, when G- that Jesus says the Son of Man has to be lifted up. Because Jesus comes as a merciful intervention for us. And the scriptures are just really clear, aren't they? We know this, most of us. That the human situation is, is, is much like that story. That one way or another, we have all become part of the collective grumbling against God. Some of us have re- you know, done it a bit more consciously. We've really given God the two fingers and told him to go you know, where the sun doesn't shine. And we've really done that from our hearts. Others of, others of us are just part of that co- collective ungratefulness. I just don't want anything to do with what you have for me in my life, God, or I just haven't even noticed you. And so we do stand. We stand without God's intervention. We stand as, as God's enemies. The, the plague has already started, which is God's judgment on that. Now, we don't, we don't, like, we don't like this part of the so-called good news. And it's not always fun to share with people. But I want to challenge us. It is part of this good news. And it can become good news for people. Actually, when we share this very simple truth with people, it can become life for them. I was on a trip in Israel um, doing a kind of like tour of Israel and we were being shown run by an Old Testament professor who was awesome so in a spare moment I asked him how he became a Christian and uh, that was a great question to ask anyone it's really encouraging usually and he said well you know what it's actually a funny story I was actually studying in Cambridge which I didn't know at the time studying in Cambridge and uh, he was an undergrad here and he was just wandering through town and some random person came up to him tapped him on the shoulder and said are you a Christian I know I'm not a Christian um did you realize you're therefore an enemy of God? And if you died tomorrow, you would you'd be punished. You'd go to hell. And this guy panicked and well, was very angry and really upset. And he went running to find the only Christian friend he had. And he said, is this true? Why didn't you tell me? How can I be right with God? And now he's an Old Testament professor. Now, I am not suggesting that that is the best way to start a conversation with someone. (laughs) Genuinely, I don't think that's a good way to start a conversation with someone. But he didn't know it. And here's the truth. Many people don't know that they stand apart from God. They don't. And if people are enemies at war with the giver of life, the one who's come to give us life, don't we need to tell them? Don't we need to tell them and trust God that if he's at work, it will turn to life for them? And finally, the final thing that I think most people don't realize, which we need to tell them, is this. They don't realize that getting right with God is as simple as it is. They don't realize how simple it is to receive eternal life and start a life with God. As I said earlier, this conversation all happens as part of a conversation between Nicodemus, who's one of the, he's one of the pros. He's pro, uh, you know, he's a professional Christian Jew, actually. But 
he's part of the member of the ruling council. He knows his stuff. And he comes to speak to Jesus. And they have this conversation about what, it, what, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God. And I'm sure that when Nicodemus came to ask Jesus what it took to enter the kingdom of God, he was expecting, well, he was probably expecting something else to do. I don't know, maybe he was expecting a complicated new uh, way of reading the law, which he was going to have to do. Maybe he's expecting some rite of passage or some, some other thing. And I think it is precisely because he's expecting some complicated new way in that Jesus tells him almost the exact opposite. If you follow the conversation, Jesus says something like this. Nicodemus, you do realize this is almost nothing to do with you. It's almost nothing to do with something you're going to do for God. This is going to be a work of God. If you, if you come into God, a relationship with God, if you come to the kingdom of God, it's going to be a miracle. This is far, far more about me and about what I'm going to do for you than anything you're going to do for me. You know how simple it is going to be for people to come into the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus? It is going to be as simple as when that, when that snake was lifted up in the desert and people were told they could go and look at it and they would be healed. That's, what, that's how, because they're going to, it is going to be as simple as seeing and believing what I am going to do for you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And of course, when he talks about being lifted up, he primarily means being lifted up on the cross where Jesus died, when he was crucified for us. And where like the bronze snake, Jesus became for us, well, first of all, became a symbol of the judgment that was already on us. And isn't that an odd thing? Lift up a snake in the midst of a, snake, uh, a plague of snakes. But Jesus was dying to show us the punishment that had already come on us or should have come on us. So he's lifted up, up as a symbol of, the, of, of that of that punishment, but also at the same time he's lifted up and becomes the source of our healing and our forgiveness. As we simply see God dying in Christ for us and we just acknowledge that that was for me. That was to make me right with God. And you know, people don't know, people don't know that it is as simple as that. I think people have all kinds of ideas of what it will take to live right before God. And of course, we know that the Christian life only begins at this place. There's so much more on the other side, walking with Jesus. You know, the Christian life is demanding, but getting right with God is not. It is coming to the cross and seeing and believing. And um, we need to tell people it is this simple. As I said at the beginning, and this is where I want to land, I do think we make sharing our faith Telling people about Jesus is too complicated sometimes. But Jesus tells Nicodemus that new life, new spiritual life is going to be like birth. <laughs> you don't do anything for your own birth. It's fundamentally a God encounter. God is going to show himself to us. And um, 
I think we need to regain some of the confidence that if we lift up Jesus, he will break into people's lives. You know, I, uh, in my fourth year of university, I had a friend who became a Christian. Um, and um, you know how she became a Christian? She came to the first and only the first night of Alpha, which is who is Jesus. That was it. She came along, and after that she said, yeah, I never heard this before. I would really like to follow Jesus. I happen to know, because I was chatting to him last week, Damien, our office manager, has a very similar story. Came to Alpha. I think it was one session. You can ask him. Maybe two. That's it. I've never heard this before. The beginning of a life with God. That challenges me. That challenges me. What would have happened if I just told her the first session earlier on? Um, I want to, a story I want to share is a, a, um, a couple of years ago, a year and a half, we had a Pentecost service here. And um, we were talking about uh, that. And then at the end, we invited people to just be open to what God might be doing or saying to them. And um, uh, so we were doing that. And then uh, we, we said at the end, if anyone wants to be connected with anyone to pray with, we often do that at the end of our services, then why don't you come up and I'll connect you with someone who will just pray with you. So I was standing at the front and this guy comes walking up to me and I don't recognize him. And uh, he comes up to me and he's pouring with tears. And he says, I don't understand. I'm, I'm not sad, but I can't stop crying. I said, oh, okay, fine. So I think someone should pray for me. Okay, fine. So I, I connected him with someone. And as I was walking up, we were in a different building at that point, walking up to connect him with someone. I just had a bit of a sense, I need to connect him with Ollie, our associate vicar. So I connected him with Ollie to pray with. And I was really, really grateful afterwards really grateful because I heard from this guy his story he said look I, I wasn't a Christian I just come with a, uh, a friend that day and um, and when you started praying uh, uh, you invited people to, to open themselves to what God might do I didn't really think much about that but then I thought you know what may as well just try and suddenly he's pouring with tears and I, and I went up for prayer and you know what Ollie did when this guy sat down with him Ollie said are you a Christian? Now that challenged me when I heard that because I'm not sure that's been my first question. You know, I might just piled in, like, oh yeah, yeah, let's pray for you, yeah, great. Stop the crying, Lord. Something like that. <laughs> um, Ollie asks, are you a Christian? No, I'm not a Christian. Do you think God's meeting with you now? Yeah, I think it probably is. Is that enough evidence for you that God exists? Yeah, I guess it is. Let me just walk you through the simple outline of the gospel, John 3.16. Okay, would you like to enter an eternal life with God? And that guy came for a year and a half until he graduated to our student work. And I've seen him change so much. I just want to encourage us. I just want to end. Would you have done that? Would I have done that? The answer for me at the time was probably, oh, no, I am being challenged here. Are we keen? Oh, oh, do we trust God that if we lift, even in the simplest way, we lift up Jesus and what he's done. These simple truths. God loves you. Jesus died for you so you can be right with God and you can have life with him. I mean, that, that verse unfolds in every direction as far as the eye can see. But that, in its essence, is what we're all about here at HT. And the truth is that for someone to come in a living relationship with God, 
It's God's work, and that is enough. Will we trust? Will we trust? Will we have confidence that if God's at work, that can change someone's life? And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus here today, you are this close to entering the kingdom of heaven. Come up, come up afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. It could be the beginning of the most incredible thing you've ever discovered. But let's pray as we finish. Lord Jesus, I thank you that though you have done so much for us, you poured yourself out at great cost. You have done that so that it would be easy for us to return to you. I thank you that it is your deepest heart's desire that we would come and know you. Lord, those of us who have known you for a long time, we forget sometimes just the incredible um, truth of all you've done for us. Lord, would you build our confidence here as a family of the life, the, the gold mine we're sitting on, and of your deep desire to break into people's lives and turn them around. The purpose you bring, the life you bring, the hope you bring, the power you bring. Lord, we would just long, we'd long that from this place and in this place, many people would come to know you and your life for them. Amen.